Well, you can turn your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3 this morning. We are finishing up a series that we've entitled Goals that we started at the beginning of January. And uh, just a quick four-week series as we have uh, looked at a number of different, I believe, valuable subject matters through God's Word. And uh, we want to wrap that up today uh, as we conclude this series. Uh, I remember as a kid growing up, uh, you know, I didn't have a relationship with the Lord, so um, everything that I did was always about me, uh, always about me. And, uh, and so I remember um, as a young kid, uh, I would always strive to make money because I had something that I had set my set sights on uh, that I wanted to buy. And most of the time as a young kid, it was baseball cards. Uh, I collected baseball cards, sports cards, uh, all different sports, but mainly baseball cards. And for me growing up, there was always another card that I had my eye on that I couldn't wait to buy. And I knew how much it would cost, and I made frequent trips to the baseball card shop. I uh, made frequent trips to one baseball card shop that I remember uh, it was about five minutes from my house, and the name of it was Benny's. Uh, Benny's baseball cards, and it, it's still in existence today. When I drive by it, you can see it looks like it's falling apart, but this old baseball card shop, and brings back memories, and if I would step back into that baseball card shop, the smell and the, the atmosphere, everything would take me back to like being a kid. Uh, I was in there so much as a kid. And so anytime I would make any money, I would be setting that money aside because I wanted to buy cards. And I was always looking at buying the next good card and what card I wanted to buy and what rookie card I wanted to collect. And, and then I would kind of wheel and deal with friends when I would get the right cards to try to get cards I wanted and try to really play up how valuable these cards were and, and to get the cards that I wanted. But I was just consumed with that as a kid. Every dollar that came in was going to go right back out because I had my sights set on certain baseball cards. Maybe you can think back to a time in your childhood, or maybe it's not even your childhood, maybe it's present day, that every dollar that comes into your hands or comes into your checking account, it is already accounted for going somewhere because you have your sights set on something and something that is so valuable that you must have it and you can't do without. When I was just entering my teenage years, came to know Christ as Savior, and my mindset began to change a little bit as it related to money that would come in because I started to have this sense of feeling that I needed to honor God with what was coming into my hands, something that I'd never felt before. And I can't tell you that from the time I was a teenager until my present uh, age that I have always, from the very beginning, always given to God what God was due. Because I really don't believe any of us fully are giving to God what God is fully due. Because he is due everything we have, is he not? Uh, all of the resources that we have, everything that God has put into our hands and into our care that we are stewards of, God is worthy of all of it. But I wonder... For you personally, in this series as we've looked at goals and we've been looking at financial goals that will honor God, I wonder for you personally, and thinking of my own life as well, how do we truly view the resources, the finances that God has entrusted to us as his children, how do we really truly view who truly is deserving of it all? Ourselves, others, or God? We've asked some pretty important questions in this series. Week one, we asked, what if every believer put God first? That's what I'm getting at by way of this opening 
What if every believer's first thought about all of the resources that God has entrusted to us is that we are resolved to putting God first with everything? What might change? In week two, we asked the question, what if every believer was generous? The word of God calls us to live generously. What would it look like if every believer in Christ lived generously with the resources that God has entrusted to us? Last week, we asked the question, what if every believer got out of debt? What would that look like? What would change in our ability to live generously, our ability to give to the Lord, our ability to honor God with our resources, with our finances? What if every believer got out of debt? And this morning, we want to ask the question, what if every believer tithed? What if every believer tithed? Now, stick with me this morning. Um, I don't want you to be one of those individuals We can all be guilty of this sometimes, that when a particular subject matter comes up or a particular question, we think, I don't even want to hear this. I've heard this so many times. Well, I know you've not heard this particular message from me because I prepared it fresh this week. So it's going to be new for you (laughs) as it was new for me as I prepared it. So stick with me. Stick with me as we answer this question, what if every believer tithed? In order to understand this question and to answer this question, we have to begin with an understanding of the tithe. By definition, a tithe is 10%. By definition, a tithe is 10%. That's what the word means. So when we say, what if every believer tithe, the question is to ask, what if every believer gave 10% of all that God has entrusted to them to the work of God, to the ministry of the gospel? What if every believer were to tithe? 10% of their income to the Lord. What would that look like? What could be done in service to the Lord and spreading the gospel? What could be done? As you know, as a church, one area of our our budget that we have set aside 20% as a church of our entire budget every year is to global missions. And so 20% that comes into our budget every year is specifically set aside to the ministry of the gospel globally as it relates to global missions uh, every year. Um, That's a significant amount of income that comes in to go to missions. But what would that look like if every believer at Maranatha gave 10% of their income to the work of the Lord? What could be done that's not being done? We want to ask that question, but understand the tithe is 10%. That's what the word means. It's inaccurate to call something that is not 10% a tithe. So as an example, statistics, one pastor was sharing this, and I don't know what year this was, but it wasn't too long ago. Statistics show on average in America, 17% say they tithe. 17%, which is very low in comparison to the overall giving of those that would consider themselves to be God's people, those that identify as Christians, 17% say they tithe, but only 3% actually do. So what does that that mean? Well, what has become synonymous with the word tithe is something given to God. Okay, So when people say, hey, we're going to collect your tithes and offerings, people say, well, this is my tithe to God. Um, Anything that's given to God has become known as a tithe. But to understand truly the definition of a tithe, meaning 10% of what God has entrusted to us, truthfully, only about 3% actually do that. The average Christian in America gives 2 to 3% per year to the Lord. 2 to 3% to the Lord. 
One pastor asked this question. He said when he was growing up, he asked the question of why should God receive 10% of all of my hard-earned money? And someone challenged on him on it and asked, why should you keep 90% of what God rightfully deserves? It's a good question to ask. Sometimes we can get those things backwards, can't we? But understand when we say the word tithe, what we're talking about is 10%. That's what it means. Um, how did tithing come into being? Well, the earliest recording scripturally we have of tithing is when Abraham, in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, gave a tithe of everything to a priest king named Melchizedek. We don't have time to, to get into that passage this morning and to talk about all that was there, but that's the recording we have earliest of Abraham offering a tithe of everything to this priest king Melchizedek. Tithing is then also seen throughout the Old Testament as a command to the nation of Israel, an operation of the nation, to provide for the priests, to provide for the poor, to run the nation. There was an expectation on the part of the people before God to tithe. So understand, first of all, in understanding the tithe, that tithing was something that was commanded. It was commanded for the nation of Israel, it was commanded for God's people in the Old Testament, and it was something that they were to be obedient to, that they were to follow. So that brings us to Malachi chapter 3. We want to look at verses 6 to 12 today, and I want to make something abundantly clear this morning, that as we read Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12, what I am not suggesting or going to say to us today, this morning as the church, is that the standard that God had set for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament regarding the tithe is something that is carried over to you and I today as a requirement by God, that God is requiring of us that we follow exactly what he prescribed to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. That's not what we are going to say today. Because I don't believe that's what God's word teaches. And that's not what we're going to proclaim today. But understanding the tithe, understanding God, and understanding the expectation God had for his people in the Old Testament provides much wisdom and much insight for how we should view giving here now as those living in the New Testament church. So let's look at this passage. Matthew chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed. You will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. In understanding the tithe, we first understand, and this passage even makes it very clear, God's command to the nation of Israel, God's command to his people was to tithe. It was a command of God. He says in the passage before us this morning, he says, you have robbed me. You have robbed me. Will man rob God? Verse 8. But you are robbing me, he says. How have we robbed you, he asks? In your tithes and in your contributions. 
And we need to understand something and put something into perspective. When God says, you are robbing me to the nation of Israel. Again, this is not a passage that God is directing to the New Testament church. He specifically is challenging and directing this to the Old Testament nation of Israel. That God, it's covenant people. And he's commanding them and reminding them that they're robbing him in something they should have known better about. But most would agree and understand that this tithe and offerings that God would be expecting of the nation of Israel was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 27% of the income that they had. 20 to 27% was to be that which was being offered us. Now understand in the Old Testament what the tithe was used for. In many ways, the tithe was used for the operation of the nation. It was used to, pay, to care for and provide for the Levitical priests, those that were of the tribe of Levi, the priests, and those that were about God's work. This was their life, God's work. It was used to provide for them, to feed them, and to provide for them. It was used to help provide for the needs of those that were poor and less fortunate, for widows. It was used for the operation of uh, the nation. And so this was more in the line of 20 to 27% in regards to tithes as well as offerings that would have been collected. There was a clear-cut expectation on the part of God regarding this command, which leads to point two. The tithe was commanded, but also the tithe was fully expected. It was expected that this is what the people of God would give. If God is commanding it, there's a reasonable expectation that they would be obeying it. You see that? You see, in Malachi's passage where God is chastising the nation here, where God is letting them know and hitting them right in the face with this understanding that you are needing to return to me. He says, return to me, in verse 7, and I will return to you. But you say, how shall we return? They don't understand yet. They're, They're asking the question of like, well, where are we gone? If you want us to come back, That means we've obviously gone somewhere, but where have we gone? God, help us to understand what are you talking about? What does God say? Return to me because you have robbed me. You're not being obedient in what I have asked you to give. You're not being obedient in what I have expected you would be obedient. You're robbing me. And because you are robbing me, you are under a curse, he says. You are cursed with a curse, verse 9, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. You're robbing me. You see, God commanded something, and after it was commanded, it was reasonably expected that there would be a response of obedience. It was the expectation that they would provide for God's work in the nation of Israel. Fully expected that they would obey. You know, similar to what we would consider in America today, the expectation we have as Americans to pay taxes. Some are not real in favor of that, and yet we have been called on the part of God, and Jesus even addressed this, where Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. But there's a reasonable expectation that we would be offering the correct amount of taxes that are required of us, and if we do not... There will be consequences for that. Well, similarly, in the nation of Israel, in the operation of the nation, in the functioning of what God wanted to function, he would use his people in their tithes and offerings to make sure that this was happening and it was expected they would follow it. In addition to that, understanding the tithe in the Old Testament, it was wise to tithe. It was wise because tithing 
for the nation of Israel, which was an act of obedience to God, brought the blessing of God. And that's a principle that we see all throughout Scripture. Obedience brings blessing. And disobedience brings, in the Old Testament, cursing. New Testament, disobedience brings the correcting hand of God. We understand the one that the Lord loves, he will correct. So it was wise for them to tithe. Verse 10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. It was simply wise in the Old Testament to tithe because you are obeying God and obeying the all-powerful, all-knowing ever-present creator, eternal to eternal God, was just simply wise. It was wise to obey. I tell my daughters this all the time. When we tell them to do something or not do something, and they don't like it or they not really want to do it, I use this statement all the time. I'll say, listen, it would be very wise for you to listen to what we just told you to do. And they know that look, and they know the tone that I use, and when they see that, they do it, okay? And what I'm saying to them is, unless you want punished... Unless you want to suffer the consequences, it would be very wise for you to do what mom and dad are telling you to do. And by the way, to do it right now. See, it is wise to obey. And why wouldn't it be? I mean, why do we sometimes struggle with that? That if there is truly an all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal God, who alone is God, who knows the very thoughts in our mind and the words on our tongues, who knows our rising up and our lying down, who knows every single thing there is to know about us, would it not then be considered wise to obey the God of all the earth? It was wise. But in addition to being wise, as we've already mentioned, it invited the blessing of God. See, God's heart and God's desire here was to bless his people. He wants to bless them. He says, test me if I will not open, verse 10, the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer. Most believe that that is pestilence or something that was destroying the crops and destroying the fruit of the soil. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord. There was a direct correlation between the tithing from God's people and the giving to God what God required and asked, and the blessing of God on the nation for that. Take this principle. Obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings correction from God. Now, do not fall victim to those that would say, that what we mean by obedience brings blessing for you and I in the New Testament church, that that blessing is always seen in material possessions and wealth because it does not say that, nor does God's word promise that. Many people operate under this assumption that if I just tithe to God or give to God what God is due, I will be rich, I will be prosperous, I will have everything that I could possibly imagine or want, and I'm just going to have so much stuff that I'm not going to know what to do with it all. God's word does not promise that. But God's word does promise that he will bless us as we are obedient to him. And that can take many shapes and forms. But in understanding the tithe, specific to the Old Testament, it was commanded, it was expected, it was wise to follow, and it invited the blessing of God for the nation of Israel. The whole idea here in Malachi chapter 3, 6 to 12 is to remind the nation of Israel of who God is, of what God has promised, 
and why it was that they were not seeing and receiving the blessing of God on their lives because they were robbing God. They were robbing God, and there needed to be a change. Now, also understand in the passage that we see much about our God, understanding God in the passage. Number one, God is unchanging. God promotes this right away in verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. So understand the God that we serve. He is an unchanging God. God does not change. Number two, that God rewards faithfulness. We see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament. God is a rewarder of faithfulness. He is someone who rewards obedience as a loving heavenly father. So he rewards faithfulness. Number three, that God is aware of our offerings. In the nation of Israel, God was fully aware of them robbing him. God was fully aware of, aware of what they were giving and what they were not giving. And he would respond accordingly. And even today, we remind ourselves God is unchanging. He rewards faithfulness and he's aware of our offerings. Number four, God is completely in control of all things. Don't miss in the passage where God talks about uh, he, will, he will make sure that the, the, the storehouses from basically from heaven are opened up. I'll open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer. I will rebuke the one that would destroy the land and destroy the soil and destroy the outcome of fruits for you. God is in control of all things completely. And he remains in control today of all things. Number five, God can prosper whomever he wills. Understand this, that God has the right to prosper whoever he wants to prosper. He can prosper, and he does, as he wills. That remains true even today. And remember that God will be glorified to the nations. God will always receive the glory that is due to his name. So, with this backdrop, understanding the tithe and understanding God, understanding what Malachi chapter 3 reminds us about our God that we serve about what it meant to give a tithe in the Old Testament, as well as the principle of honoring and obeying God with what God has asked of us, let's now kind of make a transition for the remainder of our time in understanding what the Bible talks to you and I about as the church about New Testament giving. First, understand this point. New Testament believers are never commanded to tithe. There's not a command in the New Testament, that says, if you are a believer in Christ, thou shalt tithe. Okay? That wording, that command will not be found in Scripture. Now, we are never told in the New Testament not to tithe. As a matter of fact, Jesus would even affirm with the Pharisees in challenging them. And he says, you seek to honor God with your tithes and offerings as you should. But this individual is honoring me with their heart as they should. So it's not that the tithe is ever said to not exist, or it's not that believers are ever called to not tithe, but specifically, and many have operated under this assumption, and you're correct, that the New Testament specifically does not say, thou shalt tithe to the Lord. But there are principles that the New Testament does give, many in regards to our giving to the Lord. I mentioned earlier in Matthew chapter 22 Jesus is confronted about giving tribute to Caesar, paying taxes to Caesar. And when he's challenged by that, everybody knows what Jesus would say. That if you know that passage where Jesus said, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But he'll go on to say, and give to God the things that are God's. So I would ask the question, what 
is God's? What belongs to God? And can I challenge us this morning that much more than a tithe belongs to God? Because all of it belongs to God. As we looked at the series already, God has called each one of us to live generously and to give generously. So we have much principles that are shown to us in the New Testament scriptures that all believers, with all that they've been provided from God, should also equally be providing and giving to the work of the Lord and to give generously, generously. Sometimes a tithe can be very limiting when it comes to this idea of giving generously, and other times to give generously for some might not mean 10%. But God's desire is that generosity would mark our lives. One passage that seems to speak to New Testament giving in a very clear way is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And this is what Paul says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when it comes to New Testament giving, I believe the Bible offers certain guidelines for us to follow. And I want to give you those three guidelines that I believe the New Testament very clearly gives when it comes to the giving from God's people. Number one, our giving is to be generous. As we've already mentioned in this series, God's desire is generosity from his people. Generosity is a mark of the believer in Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to our giving, might we ask the question, are we generous in our giving to the Lord? The passage in 2 Corinthians that Paul the Apostle was saying that we must give as he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It must be and should be from the believer in Christ generous. Now for some of us that are sitting in this room, we may have a much different take or viewpoint on what it means to give generously. And I believe that that is something that between you and the Lord as a believer in Christ that seeks to honor God, you must, before the Lord, come to a conclusion of what it is that God wants from you in being generous in your giving to the Lord. If in your giving you feel strong conviction that you are not giving what God would want you to give, then give more. But you need to come to a conclusion between you and the Lord of what would that mean for you to give generously. Wisdom, a wisdom principle, would be to start by tithing to the Lord 10% of all that God has been giving to you. Wisdom would say that is a great starting point, to tithe 10%. Why is that wisdom? Because that's the precedent and example that seems to be set even from the very beginning in the book of Genesis all the way through, even into the New Testament scriptures, that a tithe to the Lord was a wise thing. So start there. If you can't start there, start somewhere in seeking to be generous in giving to the Lord. When it comes to New Testament giving, the Bible offers not only to be generous, but also to be sacrificial. It is to be sacrificial. We should be giving to the Lord in a way that demonstrates and shows sacrifice for his work. It shows a commitment to his work. Listen, if we're honest, we're willing to sacrifice financially for a lot of areas, aren't we? For that which we really value, for that which we really want. But I wonder, when was the last time it could be said of our giving to the Lord 
that we were giving sacrificially to the Lord in a way that costs us, in a way that we feel, in a way that shows that we are committed to him. For some that are here today, a tithe to the Lord would be a tremendous sacrifice in giving. It would mean having to cut something else out in order to give to the Lord. Again, might it be generous and might it be sacrificial? Might it be that which shows to God a heart that is set to serving him? Number three, it's to be thoughtful. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God lives a che- loves a cheerful giver. So it must be sac- thoughtful or planned is another way to say that. Not, okay, what's left? Which so often tends to be the case, doesn't it? That once everything's paid and once everything's distributed and once everything that we want is bought and once everything that we want to do is done, we ask the question, what is left to give to the Lord? See, that's not planned or thoughtful. That's not sacrificial, and it's certainly not generous. It's what's left. But what would it look like if, as believers, we were to reverse that? What would it look like if, as believers, we sought to honor the Lord in our giving? What would it look like if every believer was at the point where a tithe was the minimum that we offered to the Lord? Because he is deserving of so much more. What would it look like if we began with the wisdom principle of to give to the Lord the first 10%, to give to the Lord off the top rather than off the bottom? What would that look like? What would change? Not only in our thinking, but in our activity, in where our money is going, and in the work that can be done for the glory of God. So I want to ask to commit this morning to three commitments as believers. Commit today, number one. To give generously to the Lord. To give generously to the Lord. What will that look like for you? Maybe you need to do that kind of homework this week. Maybe you and if you're married, your spouse, need to sit down and ask the question, what would it look like for us to commit to give generously to the Lord? What would that look like? See, I believe that it's true, and maybe you've heard this before, that there are many people who are giving a tithe to the Lord of their income, and they are not giving generously. They could give far more, and God wants them to give far more, but they're not. And I believe it's equally true that there are some that would say, man, in my present stage and where I'm at, I, there's no way that a tithe could happen right now for me. But I could do 7%. I could do 5%, and that would be you presently being very generous in your giving to the Lord, and you build to the point where you can give more and more. I don't know what that looks like for you. But can I challenge you this week to give generously, to, to be resolved to give generously to the Lord? Figure out what that is going to look like. To be sacrificial, generous, and planned in your giving. Number two, be sacrificial in our giving to the Lord. Commit to give generously and commit to be sacrificial in your giving. Again, Maybe some homework needs to be done. Maybe the budget needs to be looked at. Maybe we need an honest look to ask, what am I willing to sacrifice for what I want, and what am I willing to sacrifice for what the Lord wants? But can I challenge you this morning to give sacrificially? Commit to being sacrificial in your giving. Number three, commit to thoughtful and planned giving. Be thoughtful and planned in what we give to the Lord. Take the time. Not to see what's left, 
but to purposely plan to give what God has purposed in your heart for you to give so that the Lord is glorified in that. I wonder what do we offer a tithe of our income to other than to the work of the Lord? What do we offer a tithe or more of our income to apart from the work of the Lord? Are all of those things that we spend so much on really worthy of the amount that we give? Isn't the Lord worthy of more than that? Obviously, the answer is yes. And so whereas I, as a pastor who believes in the teaching of the word of God, cannot stand up here and say to you, thou shalt tithe, church, my encouragement would be to use wisdom in giving. Seek to be generous, sacrificial, and thoughtfully plan what it is God would want from you as a believer to give to the work of the Lord. We have these brochures out in our welcome centers that says biblical giving, biblical giving. I would encourage you if you want to pick one of these up to pick one up. If they all go today, in the weeks to come, pick one of these up. It just talks about the perspective that the word of God gives on biblical giving and how we as believers in Christ should give generously, sacrificially, thoughtfully in honoring God in that. I wonder what would it look like if every believer tithed or even to a greater extent sacrificially, generously gave to the work of the Lord, what would that look like? Every year, at the end of the year, if you give to the church, uh, you get a giving statement. It just gets sent to you that just says, hey, thank you for giving, and it's just a statement of your giving. And so my wife and I received our statement of giving as we do every year, and we love when we get that to look at it and say, okay, how can we give to the Lord to a greater extent the following year, and, and how can we give more? We always want to be giving to the Lord more. But uh, I love it this year because I got a giving statement in the mail, and it was for one of my daughters uh, who was giving. And my daughter, Sophia, who is nine. Uh, and so this came addressed to Sophia Rosa uh, to our address. And uh, this is just her, her giving statement for the year um, that started in February and went through to May. And uh, Sophia does not make a lot of money (laughs) in a given year. Uh, But I was struck with Sophia the other day because I went up into Sophia's room and and she uh, had this cash register that she uses. And she had three different spots in her cash register marked. And they were marked off and it said giving, saving, and spending she had in her cash register. And uh, Sophia does not make a lot of money, but I'm, I'm just going to let you know a little secret. Now, she knows that I'm going to say this. I got her permission. But Sophia, in the year 2019, this is going to be public now, so take it as you want, uh, gave $24.09 to the Lord in 2009. Um, Sophia, for the year, probably made about $30 in the year 2019. Anytime Sophia gets money, no matter what it is for, she wants to give it to the Lord. We'll be in the car, and I remember being in the car, and she might have received $5 for doing some things outside around the house. And she has her offering for church. 
She said, Dad, I have my offering for church on Sunday. I said, oh, that's great, honey. I said, well, uh, what are you giving? She goes, I'm giving $5. I said, like, honey, that's, that's all the money you made. She said, I know. And she can't wait to give. She wants to specifically mark it for missions when she gives it because she wants it to be used for missions. Uh, other times when there's special, the special missions project comes around, she wants to mark it for whatever it is with the special missions project. Sophia probably gives about 90% of what she gets to the work of the Lord. What a challenge for me as a dad, my wife, as a mom. What a challenge. What a challenge for us to consider what we do and what we value more than anything else with our financial resources. To be generous, to be sacrificial, to be thoughtful and planned in our giving. What would that truly look like for you? What would that look like? As we wrap up this series, I love one pastor talked about three steps to financial freedom. Everybody has steps to financial freedom, but he said three steps, and I love these, and I'll leave you with these. Number one, and I think it's a good challenge for us, give to God off the top, no matter what. Give to God off the top, no matter what. Decide to live within your means, no matter what. And decide even to live a step below your means so that you can be generous. Give to God off the top. Decide to live within your means no matter what. And even to decide to live below your means so that you can be generous. I think these are goals that every one of us could have as believers to show forth the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example that you set for us, Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave up all. You have asked us in return, Lord, to set before ourselves in our own heart what it is to give. That we would do so cheerfully and not reluctantly because you love a cheerful giver. I pray that you would help each one of us to sacrificially, generously, and thoughtfully give to you so that you might be glorified. We give you all of these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. And Maranatha.